Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Once again, President Trump mentioned the issue of the so-called interference of Russia in the American elections, and I had to reiterate things I said several times, including during our personal context, that the Russian state has never interfered and is not going to interfere into internal American affairs, including election process. Any specific material, if such things arise, we are ready to analyze together. For instance, we can analyze them through the Joint Working Group on Cybersecurity, the establishment of which we discussed uh, during our previous contacts. And clearly, it's past time we restore our cooperation in the cultural area, in the humanitarian area. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Head over to the website and hit the subscribe button. You'll also find the podcast there on my page um, if you want to listen to previous content or interviews that you may have missed. So welcome back to the show. And uh, how can how can I say this? What do you think he was going to say? OK, did you think that Putin, a former KGB agent, a man who is so good at lying, it's not it's not second nature to him. It's just something he does for for kicks. Um, do you think he was going to step up to the podium and say through the translator? So you've got us. You've indicted 12 of our spies, our, you know, Russian military agents for uh, you know, hacking into the DNC and, you know, funneling information to WikiLeaks. And here's the deal. Yeah, you caught us. We did it. You know, what are you going to do? What, what, we can't promise we won't do it again. Is that what we thought he was going to say? In what naive unicorn world where the pigs fly and, and smell fantastic and are soft, buttery soft pigskin that you can also jump on their back and fly around to or take a ride on a unicorn? In what world unicorn pig flying world did we think that Putin was just going to up oh, you know what now's a good time to come clean you know what I feel great now that I've admitted that we you know tampered in your elections I just feel I feel clean I feel uplifted I feel vindicated I feel like I can go forward today and just enjoy myself no that man is not going to come forward and say that they did anything and if he admitted that he tampered in our elections, he'd have to then admit that he does the same thing in European nations and the, the Baltics and everywhere else. Any place that they can have an impact in driving a wedge between any factions that exist in a society, they're going to do that. Because what they want to do is they want to destroy our bedrock belief in what they call democracy, but we call a representative republic in, in the American experiment. Because the American experiment is what stands in the face. It, it flies in their face. It, it offends. Because it makes it seem as if they're not doing something right. And we all know they're not. They're not doing, there's something they're not doing right. But how do they battle that? Well, to subvert what we're doing. Because as long as we're running around, you know, buying horse farms and, and you know, doing radio shows from home and, you know, s women serving in the military and then going on and being Fox News hosts and MSNBC hosts and women like Stephanie Rule, who got a fantastic education and then worked, went, she went and worked on Wall Street. She was a bond trader and she traded futures and, you know, she was on the floor of the stock exchange. As long as 
our country is turning out people like that, people like Steve Jobs. He was adopted, raised in a tiny boutique liberal neighborhood where everyone was doing advanced computing and they had all these little funny computing classes for kids. And he took them and learned how to program and then started a company in his garage. As long as we have Americans doing stuff like that, they're going to have to meddle and interfere and try to subvert us in any way that they can. Just flying missiles over here won't do it. Attacking us from a foreign policy front, it's not going to do it. They have to come inside of what they consider to be something that is already contentious, something that's already a source of division and rancor, which is our political process. And they get in between that and drive wedges that way. And here's how we could stop them from doing that. Well, first of all, we could stop placing our political capital in people who are corrupt like the Clintons. You know, if Hillary Clinton hadn't run for the presidency, they would have been going into what? Joe Biden's past. Joe Biden probably would have been the nominee. I mean, almost any other candidate on the Democratic side would have been cleaner and less easily corrupted than Hillary Clinton. Even Bernie Sanders. I mean, she basically was a gift wrapped. Like it wasn't just a present. It was like when someone gives you a surprise party and you walk in and there's all these people there and everyone brought a gift. And so you glance over and not only is there a table full of food and all kinds of stuff that you didn't cook and you didn't have to put together and you didn't have to plan, but then there's another table stacked high with gifts. That's what the Democrats gave to the Russians in the candidate Clinton. And every time she runs for something, they now have their playbook because she has changed nothing. She has not acknowledged that her actions brought all of this on, that she was culpable because her activities were illegal and opened up the door for the hacking and intrusions. But it was also the DNC under her control. Remember, she was the de facto control mechanism for the DNC because she was funding it. She was in charge of all of the way it was run. All of her and her cronies. So if anyone had said, you know, she, she could have said, look, I was the head of the State Department. I know the extent of the interference and meddling that the Russians have attempted to, to foist on us. They do this 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. They're also attacking private entities and corporations. What we have to do is we have to sit down and we're stopping everything for seven days. We're having a consultant come in and everyone's going to have unhackable passwords. We're going to put up firewalls. We're going to secure our systems. And then we're going to go through and purge all of these private emails going back and forth. All of us, you know, emailing back and forth about inconsequential stuff that doesn't have to do with work. So you got to email that stuff on your Gmail account. You want to talk about Taco Bowl engagements and, you know, crack jokes, do it on your private accounts. But on your work accounts, it's strictly business. What time is this person supposed to be there? How many signs need to be ordered? What candidate needs these funds? We clean up our email because as the head of the State Department, I'm intimately aware. I know how these people operate and I'm not going to give them an opportunity to come at me because I already have that email server in my background. I can't have them hacking into the DNC. I've already got my email server to deal with and Donald Trump's going to bring that up over and over and over again. So we got to shore up these email communications. Just that conversation in and of itself. And don't tell me Hillary Clinton's not smart enough to do it would have saved all of this, all of it, because then none of us would have known about that stuff. As much as the Democrats have ignored the impact that WikiLeaks had on the election, they want to say it's the Russians. The fact is, the fact that, so those emails, 
The emails about the Taco Bowl engagement that blacks are the one ethnic group that can't be helped by policy. I mean, all that stuff. Donna Brazil admitting that the Democrats had not done anything for blacks on jobs, hadn't improved the situation on crime. I mean, and, and Americans are reading this stuff and thinking, man, these Democrats are some messy folks. But it was the Russians who changed the election. Yeah, they changed it by giving us access to their emails. But who wrote the emails? That's like somebody who robs a, a, a bank saying, well, I mean, it's the judge's fault that you know all that stuff about me robbing the bank because he's prosecuting me. No, it's your fault. You robbed the bank. You know, don't don't get mad because we now know you robbed. the You robbed the bank. There were people there. They saw you. The camp. They have you on camera robbing the bank. You know, it's not the judge's fault that you are getting prosecuted. It's your own fault for robbing the bank. The Democrats had unsecured Podesta's email password was password. Come on. So you've got Putin standing there at the podium denying election interference and everybody's mad at Donald Trump instead of them getting mad at Putin for lying. They act like he doesn't know he's lying. He is lying. (laughs) He knows he's lying. It's not like he just someone said, say this. And he's like, "Okay, I'll say it. He knows he's lying because he's the one who told them to do all that stuff. So now I want to pivot over. You know, we've got the so-called future of the Democratic Party, which is Ocasio-Cortez, this 28-year-old girl who she doesn't know anything about foreign policy. But don't take my word for it. She went on this interview and she starts talking about she gets asked this tough question, which is, you know, you're a Democratic socialist and you brought forward a lot of really, you know, kind of radical ideas for a company that's rooted in capitalism. And capitalism has been very successful for America. It's brought a lot of people out of poverty and into economic prosperity, unparalleled economic prosperity. And so don't you credit that prosperity to capitalism? And she fixed her mouth to say something different. It's number one. No, the, the benefit of capitalism is that you engage in voluntary trade mm-hmm. and that um, because it creates value, mm-hmm. it is the system that, unlike all the others, has lifted more people out of poverty mm-hmm. over the course of human history than any other system. Well, so I think that uh, those things that you talk about, that you discuss, are part of the course of human evolution. And so I would hope that the most recent economic system, our current economic system, is the one that is most beneficial for everyday people. Um, But what we're also starting to see is that, first of all, I think that when we talk about um, socialist or democrat, especially democratically socialist economies. Mm-hmm. First of all, they're done with the full input of everybody. You vote. It's it's democratic. So if it's something is not a good idea, it doesn't get voted for. Ideally, um, and the other thing too is that we're starting to see that the people who create value in society mm-hmm. are not experiencing any portion of the value that they are creating. And so I do think that absolutely capitalism was the most efficient and best economy, perhaps, um, at, for the time that it, that it was at, perhaps. For the time that it was at, perhaps. What? So it was great. But now that I'm on the scene, um, we, need, um, we need something different. Because I certainly know better with my 28 years, not married, you know, not, not no kids, 
you know, real world experience in adulting besides going to college and running around and, and you know, doing a, a smart social media campaign. But I certainly know better than a whole bunch of y'all out there who are in your 60s and your 70s. And you've lived a few decades. You've raised a few kids. You've been through a few recessions. You've lost a few jobs. You've made a few great moves. You've saved some money. You've invested some money. You've lost some money. And you put some kids through college and high school and grade school and you homeschooled a few kids and you've helped out a family member and you've written some checks and you've not gotten written some checks and you've paid some taxes and some more taxes and some more taxes. Yeah, I know better than you. That's her. So I have a little more from her, but let's go to the phones. I, I love it when we get the chance to talk to the listeners. Um, let's talk to Zach in Mississippi. Thanks for calling Stacy on the right. Yes. Yes. No problem. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, I do want to go ahead and just say uh, that um, I really do applaud you for uh, trying to get the truth out about the whole Russia investigation and just to letting your viewers know that um, Trump is alpha male enough to go ahead and um, to actually get help from the Russians to actually, you know, take all the loans from the Russian banks to, you know, cause the hacking of the DNC and all that, but then blame Hillary for it. That's actually what real alpha males do. And so I just need all your viewers to know to, you know, don't trust the <laughs> Thanks government. for calling. No, no, no. Thank you so much for calling the show, Zach. So here's the deal. I think it's wonderful when people call in and they have witty comments and things like that. But if you have to couch it in a mocking attitude as if what we're discussing here is worthy of your derision, it makes me wonder why you're listening or why you're watching. And so you're welcome to watch and you're welcome to disagree, but do so in a way that um, gives respect to the fact that you're calling in and joining in instead of the other way around. It's not like I called into his show and, you know, was presenting these ideas. He's calling here, so... All right, when we get back, we're going to come in with the remainder of Ocasio-Cortez's comments about whether capitalism is the way forward. It's a teensy little clip, and it just gives you an idea of how much she doesn't know about how life works. And then we're going to speak to Jenny Beth Martin, who's the co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots and a columnist for The Washington Times. So we'll be right back with more after this. Visit our websites at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, StacyOnTheRight.com. Yeah, we got a ton for you to do if you want. So head over there. Say hi to us online, and uh, we'll talk to you a little bit more right after this. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. Our speakers include Ryan Bomberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Burt Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. 
That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hello, this is Bishop Harry Jackson of Hope Christian Church in Beltville, Maryland. Jesus said you would do greater works than he did. God says, hey, if you do my will, I'm not only going to back you in ways you have never seen, I'm going to protect, I'm going to provide, and I'm going to be with you. Start small, but dream big. What's dreaming big? Dreaming big is knowing that God is going to use you, hoping against hope, not settling that I got to do the status quo and do what everybody else did in order to get this little bit that I want. I'm just one of the little people. I'm a nobody. All the big people today were nobodies at one point. Everybody that's famous now came through that, 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 that terrible tunnel of anonymity, of being looked over, passed over, refused, underfunded, left behind, rejected, dejected, subjected to whatever others wanted to put on them. But sometime, Psalm 66 says, of God, I have allowed men to ride over your head, but I brought you out into a wealthy place. God wants to bring you out, me out, as we start small and dream big, we're faithful and we walk in his anointing. We let God dream his dream through us. We operate in teamwork to the glory of his name. We let our little ego take a lower place to his glory and God, bam, shows up and does something that we can't do. Join us this Sunday morning at 6251 Avondale Road in Beltsville or on the web at thehopeconnection.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. As we evolve, as automation begins to really take out extremely large industries, we need to say that we're not going to throw those people away. So in the context of democratic socialism then, do you think it calls for an end to capitalism? Ultimately, we are marching towards progress on this issue. I do think that we are going to see an evolution in our economic system of an unprecedented degree. And it's hard to say what direction that that takes. You know, I so, joke but that- But it sounds you're like you're skeptical that capitalism is gonna continue to be the right answer. Yeah, I think it's um I think it's I think it's at least a question. I think it's absolutely a question. <laughs> okay. Uh it's not a question. People love to earn money and have the fruit of their labor be their fruit of their own labor. And the idea that this one little lady, this 28-year-old from New York City who is the child of immigrants wants to come here and constitute reinstitute or install the same failed system that her parents fled she wants to spread that around here in america just goes to show you that we got a lot of work to do with our higher educational institutions because they're teaching these kids these young impressionable young adults that socialism is the answer they're teaching them communism and so again you're going to do whatever you feel is best prayerfully considering whatever school your kids should go to but you have to say to yourself, if your kid's not studying science, technology, engineering, or math, 
then they're probably going to have a lot of leftist, hardcore liberal professors who are giving them Mein Kampf and teaching them about communism and how wonderful it is. And that's where you have to be very wise as a parent because those people will have your kids five days a week, all day, and they'll be having events with them in the evening. And if you want to keep your kid from coming home a communist at Thanksgiving, you should be rethinking those hardcore leftist Ivy League schools, the Big Ten schools, all the schools where if you're not studying math and engineering and, and concepts that can't be subjected to communism, your kids are going to be exposed to this stuff and they have to be prepared to deal. And it's kind of like, why would you even send your kid into that environment? Like, why? So welcome back to the program. Good to be with you. And now it's my pleasure to welcome Jenny Beth Martin, who is always fantastic, um, co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots, columnist for the Washington Times. Jenny Beth, thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I had to say, um, I, I found the entire conversation from the past month or so about abolishing ICE to be one of the more ridiculous forays the Democrats have taken of late. So much so that I guess Paul Ryan, it was, said, yeah, let's bring your bill to the floor for a vote, the bill to abolish ICE. And a bunch of them said, the sponsors said, no, we actually don't, we're not voting for that. So don't bother to bring it. Like they don't even want to be associated with it anymore. Right. Well, they probably have, since they started talking about it, seen polling that shows that the American people don't um, support that. But I think also, even, I think most Democrat elected officials know that getting rid of ICE would not be a good idea. Certainly not without some some replacement that does the exact same, has the same charge that ICE has. We have to have a way to control customs and immigration. Yeah, we have to have a way (laughs) to stop people from beheading Americans. It's like, you know, because Americans are not, that's not a a method of murder that Americans are really into. So we find that when people are being beheaded, it's usually by someone who's a refugee, a recent immigrant, someone who's in the country illegally. All of these are the purview of ICE. That's exactly right. And they're not the ones who are dealing with, from from my understanding, they're not the ones right at the border. They're the ones who are on the interior still enforcing immigration and, and customs. So they're not, they're not border patrol, but they're the ones who are, are dealing with people who are inside of the country past the border and making sure that they are, are adhering to the laws. We have to have – one of the reasons that Donald Trump is president right now is because he said he would get tough on immigration and make sure we enforce laws that are already on the books and secure our border. And that's part of, a large reason, a large part of why he was elected. And I think the left somehow can t- think they can twist that and say, oh, well, we're going to abolish ICE and it, it helps us resist Donald Trump or something. But it's just, it's not at all in step with what the American people want. It, it's, it is extreme and it's not right. It's not the kind of message that a, a Democratic Party needs to be sending. So how does this look going into the midterms? Because there's been so much talk. Like I, I know you can remember just a few short months ago, it was a blue wave and we all needed to get, you know, batten down our hatches and board up our windows because the blue wave was going to rush in and it was going to wash out all of this populism and Donald Trump and, and Republicans and et cetera, et cetera. But now it looks like it's just going to be a midterm election that sure, we'll duke it out. We'll fight, you know, to the last uh, vote is counted. 
But it's certainly the wind is not at the back of the Democrats. And they've had a number of opportunities to capitalize on issues from gun control to uh, immigration. They really turned a story at the border that was a non-story into a a national media frenzy with the children and so-called family separations. And they're still not they they don't have traction when it comes to uh, governing when, you know, getting those votes. No, they don't. And um, one thing that I said last year is that at some point this movement, because I think that there is definitely a movement on the left, the movement is to resist Donald Trump. It's against Donald Trump, and it's against and anti so many different things. Um, But they're not for anything. They haven't told what they stand for, and they still haven't had a unified voice about what they stand for. I guess they could say, well, we're unified their movement is unified in abolishing ICE or unified in taking away our Second Amendment rights, but they're not unified on on what they're going to do next other than just stop President Trump. And for Americans who are tired of the gridlock in Washington, D.C., I I think Americans are wise enough to understand that um, Democrats will will equal more gridlock. So let's talk about... The practical measures of, of that, and and really, there's no way to discuss the midterms without kind of looking at what's going on with Mueller and his investigation. And so, I was just peeking around the internet a little bit <laughs> right before the show, and I noticed that something that's not really being discussed a ton is that after, so you have this indictment of the twelve Russian agents, but that those indictments that that whole that whole bit of the investigation is being moved over to counterintelligence. The, we don't expect those Russian agents to show up in America and submit themselves for, you know, anything like any kind of uh, part of proceeding in our justice system. So at this point, is the investigation over? Like I'm waiting for the, the bombshell, the shoot a drop and nothing is happening. If that's all they've got, and they've known about these 12 guys for, for a year now, then where's the there? Yeah, I, I I continue to wonder that as well. I there's no collusion. There's no evidence that there has been collusion, and yet the investigation continues and continues and continues. And what we saw last week, as we watched the hearing with Stork, is that he, he he's so biased he doesn't even see his own bias. He 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 can't actually get beyond. On himself enough to realize that the res- that not everyone in the country agrees with the way that he thinks. He he he's so shocked that people would like President Trump that he he says they smell bad. You know, I was in Southern Virginia and there's so many I can smell the Trump people around. I think was what his tweet his text yeah. was or something along those lines. Those are the kind of people who we apparently have running involved in this investigation, and he's tainted. The entire investigation, it, it, it very much seems like a witch hunt. They still haven't come up with collusion, and they're looking for, for other crimes, but the, the one that they said existed from the very beginning, they've yet to be able to prove. Right. <laughs> so, so I guess, so what, what, what strategy should, the, I, I guess, like, let's play devil's advocate here. What strategy should the Democrats employ at this point? Because... As they so they've they've kind of cultivated a voter base that would want 
more and more leftism. Like it's something that you can't get enough of. It's like the Turkish delight from, you know, the books. It's you, you eat one bite and then you have to have some more and, you have, and pretty soon your stomach is bloated and it hurts, but you, 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 basically you need more in your mouth. You have to have more. So they're going for it. The question that I have is like, at what point do they realize the kind of Pandora's box they've opened up for it's a rabid appetite for leftism, even in the face of the fact that leftism does not work. Socialism doesn't work. Hardcore leftist policies don't work. Inner cities are you know, on fire in America. They're even now destroying the fancy ones they'd walled off like San Francisco. It's now, you know, you can't even describe it on radio what the, the nicknames right. they now have for it. I mean, it's crazy. What, when, when do they explain to us what they think is going to be the end result or pick something else to kind of run on for the midterm? Well, they should have already done that, and it's not to say that they still can't. There is, of course, time for them to to change course at this point, and so I, that's why the election is still months away. I I I have always taken the approach working with with Tea Party patriots and being part of the Tea Party movement that um, there's a time and a place to be against things. Things, and there's a time and a place to be for things. And if you go back and look at what we were doing at this time um, in 2010, you will see that we were not um, out protesting. We were we were out standing up for the country, and we were also mostly working to get out the vote, to educate people on how to get out the vote, and focused on on what our issues are and what candidates support our issues. They are, and we we always looked for ways, and I look for ways to take our passion, and usually that passion um, is an anger, it's, it's anger, it's very emotional, and turn that passion into something that is an action that's a productive action. So we always are looking for how can we turn our passion into action. And it seems to me that what we're seeing on the left is instead of looking for ways to turn the passion into action, they're just looking for ways to feed the passion and feed the anger and feed the distrust and just rile it up more and more and more. And I, I, I don't think that's healthy for the country. I don't think it's good for their movement um, either. I, I, um, but I, I'm not here. To, I, I, I've decided I'm tired of trying to give them advice. I know what we did that worked. I don't know that what they are doing is actually going to give them the results that they want in November. Well, I, I don't want to. I'm not particularly interested in helping uh, them to win. But I also don't think that, you know, that you've got huge, uh, you know, people on the on the D side of the aisle who are listening to this show and going, ah, there it That's is. Right. That's the idea. we've heard. Right. Know? So when I when I think of it that way, it's more from a position of, you know, there are communities out there that are hurting uh, socioeconomically and the Trump economy has been fantastic and it is reaching down into previously untapped areas, especially during the Obama administration. There were communities that were completely left behind. Those communities are finally seeing some. Uh, some upward mobility with this new booming economy, but there's still so much more to be done. And I wish we could find a place to to have those conversations and to create ideas that are actionable to do things to help those communities, regardless of the politics. And in some nonprofit areas, that's happening. You have people who they don't care what their politics is. They just care deeply about school choice or educating kids from, you know, low income areas. And there'll always be people that need help, but it's just, it's kind of disconcerting to see this continual it's not it's it's death march to the left on the on behalf of the Democrats and they're leaving behind so many of their constituents. And I even heard Ginny Beth last week it was all over social media that the walkaway campaign is actually just 
Russian bots. It's not real. Yeah, that that is so not true because I've seen the real accounts of people that I've known for a long time who are on the left who are now tweeting the walk away hashtag. These are real people. They're not bots. So um, that's another sign of, of danger when you're ignoring the symptoms of your own demise. Yes, I think that you're absolutely right with that. And I think it's funny how the left is always looking to um, blame something other than themselves. So they um, call the Tea Party racist. They'll call um, people in the center-right sexist, They uh, fascist, whatever whatever it is. And now if, if something like this is happening on the Internet, like Walk Away, which I, I have been watching over the last week, week, week and a half, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, those are just Russian bots. It can't be real trending. It must be Russian bots. It, it, you don't, you don't, you and I, we don't like women. We're a woman, but something must be wrong with us. Because <laughs> right. We must be sexist against women. You know, it just, it, it's ludicrousy. And I, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Instead of going back and saying, hey, what are we doing wrong? How can we appeal to people better? They're, they just, they throw names out and try to disparage their, their competition. Um, and I don't mean competition really in terms of elections, but I mean we're competing for our ideas are competing with one another. And they don't want to look at what's wrong with their ideas. They, they just want to do everything they can to disparage the messenger so they don't have to, to get into the real substance. The fact is socialism does not work. Capitalism does work. And they don't want to talk about that. Tax cuts make the economy make the economy better. There are more people working now than were working two years ago. And um, the, 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 the economy continues to improve. They don't want to talk about those things, so they'll just keep throwing out excuses. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, my main concern is that we just, um, I don't want to get stuck doing too much of the, you know, we're, we're bickering back and forth over stuff that's inconsequential. Like it, so in my opinion, the, the socialism stuff is inconsequential, but it is actually a thing because they're now electing people who are running as democratic socialists where before it was kind of a novelty. Ooh, look, it's Bernie Sanders. Everybody's long lost grandpa. He's a democratic socialist. Woohoo. But we knew he didn't have a chance. He was running up against the Clinton machine, but now in his wake are these little tiny democratic socialists and they're actually winning. And that's a concern. And, and it, it really brings us further away from those conversations we need to have to get real solutions for Americans. Uh, Jenny Beth Martin, co-founder of the Tea Party Patriots. Thank you for coming on today. Great to talk to you. Great talking with you. All right. Talk to you again soon. And what we're going to do now is we're going to have some brief messages that are super important. So do not go anywhere. You need to stay right there because we're going to be back with more. We're going to talk some more about uh, ABC's John Carl confronting John Bolton over John Bolton getting pulled from an interview by the White House. Oh, they're not playing anymore, y'all. They're, they're bringing out their serious weapons to get, get back with the media. And then we'll have your calls, of course, 866-963-2037. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Stay right there. More than a million believers have signed the pledge to boycott Target, and we urge you to join them. The American Family Association opposes the policy of Target allowing transgenders into the bathroom of their choice. Here's AFA President Tim Wildman. There's a reason why we've had male and female separation in restrooms and fitting rooms 
for all of mankind's history. A policy which allows men into women's restrooms and fitting rooms is not right, nor is it safe. I think the human resources departments of these major corporations are the tail wagging the dog because I just can't see corporate executives at Target or anywhere else sitting around a table going, you know, guys, I think we need to uh, open up our women's restrooms for men. Visit AFA.net to learn more and sign the pledge to boycott Target. Don't spend your money at Target until they stop putting our family members at risk with this dangerous, politically correct policy. That's AFA.net. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Who is today's urban woman? Today's urban woman is about empowering herself, empowering her family to empower our future. We have a wealth of opportunities here in America. There are no excuses. Everyone should be able to empower themselves, educate themselves, and be stewards of our society. Today's urban woman, here to stay, and we're moving forward, never looking backward. I'm Deneen Borelli, and I am today's urban woman. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Screaming children, angry adults, chain link fencing. The images projected across national media right now are disturbing unless you know the truth. Illegal aliens who enter the country with minors who are not their children are routinely separated and have been for decades. This law protects minors and is not new. Democrats are orchestrating this issue to motivate their base for the midterms. Gun control has fizzled out. The race card is tattered and useless. The NFL protests have destroyed their brand and left advertisers scrambling. Meanwhile, the Trump agenda is rewarding hardworking Americans with lower taxes, less regulations, and peace through strength. So what's really going on? Trafficking innocent children into the U.S. has increased by over 600% and it has to stop. True asylum seekers enter through one of our ports of entry. Immigration officials are protecting minors in temporary custody from human trafficking and abuse. This isn't a new problem, but it's one Congress must solve now. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. No, I don't think that has anything to do with it. And let's just be clear, Franklin Roosevelt met with Joseph Stalin at a time when uh, activity in Russia was a lot worse than it is today. I'm not excusing present conduct, but it didn't seem to bother Franklin Roosevelt and liberal Democrats weren't bothered at the time when he met with Stalin. So let's, let's try and uh, have some historical perspective here and, and not act like we have the attention span of fruit flies. But, but wait a minute, I'm not asking whether or not it's legitimate or, or appropriate for him to meet with Vladimir Putin. I'm asking if the president branding real news organizations, real news stories as not real contributes to this effort that we see from the Russians and from other authoritarians to undermine a free press. Uh, of course not. I really, honestly, Jonathan, I think the question's silly. Well, let me ask you about... And don't say I'm attacking freedom of the press. I just characterized your question. Okay, well, you were also scheduled to appear on CNN this morning, and the White House press secretary announced that your appearance would not go forward uh, because a CNN reporter, quote, 
disrespected the president and Prime Minister May at the joint press conference. Is it really appropriate to deny a news organization access to a White House official because a reporter tried to ask a question at a press conference? Uh, look, in reality, I, I don't seek out the press. I don't talk to them. I, I, I uh, appear when I'm, I'm asked to, and if I'm not, if I'm not asked to appear, I don't do it, and I don't communicate with them either. As you could find out if you consulted your friends in the Washington press corps, whom I don't communicate with. So that's Ambassador, well, actually, um, John Carl on ABC speaking with former Ambassador John Bolton, who is now working in the Trump administration, and. What's funny about this interaction is that they act as if John Bolton books his own TV, you know. So when I go on TV, someone emails me directly or they email through Project 21 and that's how I end up going on to a program. Or I'll get a text message or, you know, again, email. Usually it's an email and it's a request and and I go on. But that's me. You you guys see where where I am, what I'm working with. Um, And that's, that's how it is. Trump administration officials are booked through the White House comms team. They're not getting text messages to go on on official White House communications or, or business to, to discuss something that has to do with the Trump administration by a text message for themselves. They're getting booked through White House comms. Same for cancellations. If they decide they're not going to have someone come on, they will email and you get the email comes from someone in the comms team. I also know this is true because everyone we've had on who's a staffer or anyone associated with the White House, they've been booked through the comms team. They've either reached out to us and said, we would like to discuss this, or one of our producers has reached out and said, hey, can we, can we get someone on to talk about this topic? And then they will say yes or no. And very rarely, maybe twice, It's been someone that I know that works at the White House and I've asked them directly. And then what they do is they route me through to the comms team. They don't say, sure, I'll come on. They say, oh, that has to be booked through the comms team. And they will say, you know, so-and-so. And and if I don't, they'll have that person email me. So this idea that he canceled, like what, what, what would be the point of Bolton commenting or having an opinion about whether or not he gets to go on a show? He doesn't care. He's on the job all day anyway. He can either do the job by talking about the show or he can be back in his office doing, you know, stuff he's got to get done that he's on. He's got to get done stuff that he has to get finished. This is more distraction, more distractionary tactics away from what really matters. Now, I I know you guys, I love the conservative treehouse. I love their content over there. And they actually have Sundance has done a big post over there about the Trump Putin presser. And what all of this stuff, like how it all intersects. And so I want to give you a little bit of that. And what we're going to have to do, because we have just this last segment of the show today, I'm going to push some of this stuff over till tomorrow that I pulled for today's show. Still important stuff. You got Hillary Clinton beginning a speech. I'm so tired. I can barely stand. We're actually going to have to pay attention after last week's interview uh, with, um, I can't remember his name, but he's a Hollywood producer and all of that. And he was talking about, this just this possibility that Hillary Clinton is like more than a distinct possibility that she'll run again in 2020. And then of course, Dianne Feinstein um, had this amazingly difficult primary that she just made it through, but she lost the endorsement of California's Democrats for her Senate race. Again, they're turning to the left. They have to because their traditional democratic stuff isn't working and the leftist stuff isn't going to work either, but they're not going to turn to the right. 
And then the National, Guard, the National Guard deployment. You haven't heard much about that recently, have you? Well, it has resulted in the arrest of more than 10,000 illegal immigrants. And a quarter of the counties in Illinois have declared themselves gun sanctuaries. Whoa. So those we'll, we'll get to all of that tomorrow. Today, I want to get into this. Ooh. So you got Mueller, Rosenstein, and the announced indictments on Friday. Now, remember, we talked about this just a tad. I said it was a distraction. Um, it was odd that they announced it on Friday, knowing that the president would be meeting with Trump on Monday. It was as if they were saying, you ain't going to get away with meeting with him without talking about this. We're going to put this in front of you. We're going to put it in the media and we're going to feed it to the, the, the press corps. So they're going to ask you questions about it. The question was just screamed at him constantly on the tarmac at the press conference, anywhere they saw the president's face, they were yelling questions at him about the 12 Russians and the indictments. Now, obviously, you still have hundreds of career left-wing D.C. bureaucrats who are still in place in Washington, D.C., who have the same kinds of views that we heard elucidated last week by Peter Strzok when he was forced to read his own text messages out into the record. Now, this is echo chamber Joy, joy land. Like this is where they get all of the, 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 the wonderful feels, the goodness, the, you know, everything. This is apple pie for them because now they get to keep saying over and over again, 12 Russians were indicted, even though to us Americans, that is the equivalent of nothing. That's like me saying I'm serving cucumber sandwiches here at my house in a half an hour. You don't care about that. You're nowhere near here and you probably don't like cucumber sandwiches. By the way, neither do I. So what, why would you care? We Americans don't care that 12 Russians were indicted because we kind of thought if there was anybody doing cyber attacks, it was the Russians. We kind of already knew that. We're kind of right about it. What does it have to do with the price of tea in China? Nothing. You've got the administrative state really basically saying Americans are dumber than rocks. They're dumber than a bag of rocks. So what we're going to do is we're going to put these 12 Russians and their indictment out there. And we're just going to keep talking about that because that's really going to get ri uh, Americans riled up because Russians have been meddling in the election. Well, I wasn't riled up in 2016 about it because I kind of knew that's what they were doing because that's what they do. And I wasn't riled up in 2017 and I'm not riled up now. And I don't know anybody who's actually riled up about it except hardcore leftists who spend all of their time on Twitter getting mad about stuff, which, by the way, I just encourage you to delete the Twitter app from your phone. It doesn't mean you can't get onto Twitter. You can still get on there. But if you delete it, you'll be surprised at how much less time you spend during the day being angry. I believe that if I leave the Twitter app off my phone, I'll probably look five years younger by this time next year. Yeah, because I won't be angry. Not nearly as often. We'll see, won't we? <laughs> so, so we've got this weird kind of echo chamber that the media is creating around this indictment of the 12 Russians. Meanwhile, what we know is that these Russians aren't going to show up in America to be prosecuted. And so this is basically an acknowledgement of what happened that we've known for over a year. So it's a nothing burger. It's like those cucumber sandwiches. Who cares? Now, we've got a lot of other stuff going on. Obviously, when President Trump was at the press conference earlier today, it wasn't, in my opinion, my favorite uh, press conference performance from him. Um, I, I, I wish that he would have been 
not combative, but just kind of matter of fact. You know how you can disagree matter of factly without it being combative? And just for him to say, you know, President Putin has said that that there was no election interfering. Um, we found that there was. We, we, we disagree. Maybe the reason he didn't do that is because he has some other things that he's working on. And how would we know? See, that, that's the other part of this that no one's willing to acknowledge. The media doesn't want to say it, but I'll say it. I, I'm, I'm still a member of the media, you know, in, in my own way. We don't know. So we don't know every objective the president had on his list. Everything that he said, look, uh, these are the objectives that I have in this meeting with, with Putin. And I'm going to sit with him as long as I need to to try to make some headway on these issues. Since we weren't privy to that, we didn't get an email beforehand. I got tons of emails from the press corps, but nothing about what the president's objectives were. He's been asked about it on television, on radio. Everybody who's gotten an interview with him has said, what are your objectives? He has always given generalities, meaning he doesn't want that information in the press for Putin to review and, and to be prepared to counter. Classic strategic move, going into a meeting, you don't telegraph what you want beforehand unless the meeting is not adversarial. I mean, I, don't, I just don't see how we're supposed to understand the dynamic that we saw on display and everyone's characterizing it as, well, Donald Trump was so subservient to Putin today. I don't know. I don't know what they talked about. I don't know what the tenor of the meeting was. Two hours and 14 minutes, just the two of them and translators. What could he have said? Anything. Sky's the limit. We have no idea what the two of them discussed, what kind of threats were made. If others were in the room, like if they had had, you know, the head of the, uh, they don't call it the KGB anymore. It has another name in Russia, but it's their, it's their, basically their military and all of that all wrapped into one. They have one guy that's over that. And if we'd had maybe our secretary of state and that the four people had been in the room, the meeting might not have lasted as long, but we don't know what transpired. Now, at some point, I expect President Trump will come out with a statement or a summation or something of that nature where he explains to us what went on. But I, I'm just going to simplify it down. I tend to err on the side of trusting that Donald Trump made some headway in that room based on his prior performance. So his demeanor after the meeting may have been in big part due to, you know, he was disappointed or maybe he came out of the meeting with a new understanding of how really frightening and horrifying the leader of Russia really is. Cause remember we're talking about someone that the president met briefly on a couple of occasions over the course of his entire you know, career in business around the world and in international business building, building properties. But this is different. You, someone that you meet where you're just meeting them in passing and you're no threat to them, that meeting is going to be, it's basically like, you, you know, oh, hi, you could be anybody. Donald Trump was no one to Putin back then. Now, Donald Trump is Putin's number one adversary. We don't know what went on in that room. I can't stress it enough. What we are hearing on media right now is speculation. So, you know, if you enjoy just sitting around uh, 
trading in speculation and listening to people imagine what went on, then I guess the things that are going on in the media right now where they're talking about, you know, oh, he's he's this, he's that. Donald Trump was he was subservient. Okay. But in reality world, we know that we don't know what they talked about. So you've got the Putin-Trump press conference. You've got everybody on the left is just gasping and they're fainting and they're clutching their pearls. And they're really, really just, you know, oh, woe is me. Donald Trump was so weak. The same people who were mad at him last week for being strong at NATO are now mad at him for being too weak with Putin. And if he had been strong with Putin, as Christopher pointed out last hour, they'd be mad at him. He made a fool of himself. Remember how they acted when he was throwing down on Twitter with Kim Jong-un? I mean, it was just like pandemonium. Woe is me. Donald Trump is on Twitter and he's throwing down and we just can't let this go on. Listen to the way he's just he's he's a wild man. So he just can't win. So if you know that going into the meeting, what reason would you have as President Trump to, number one, tell anybody anything before you went in? Number two, do any confrontational type behavior towards Putin after the meeting uh, in front of the podium? And three, even trust that whatever did transpire would be accurately reported in the media. None of those things are a given for the president. None of them. So you've got nakedly politicized law enforcement. There, and, and none of these Russians are going to trial. Rosenstein actually telegraphing what his true me- meanings were when he said, that the Justice Department will now transition responsibility for this case to our department's National Security Division while we await the apprehension of the defendants, which is never going to happen. Never going to happen. American agents in Russia are not going to apprehend these guys, and they're not coming here to get apprehended. That's over. The Justice Department is going to take the next logical step. They're never going to be able to use any of this stuff against Donald Trump because they have no, they don't don't have any witnesses to corroborate any of it. So what I'm looking for is for them to wrap this garbage up before, really before the end of the summer. What else have they got? And all the rest of us can just, we can sit back and eat cucumber sandwiches if we want to or whatever you like to eat. And laugh at these people who are losing their minds. That's the show. God bless. We'll be back with you tomorrow with more Stacy on the Right. Find us online. And uh, have a great evening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.